0: Uh, Two weeks ago today, Joyce and I, after service, uh, jumped in the car and uh, drove to Virginia on a longer-than-normal vacation, going about 12 days, and uh, we went to see our daughter's home she bought in Richmond and did some handyman projects there and then flew out west a couple days later and we went and visited the Grand Canyon, kind of a bucket list trip, never been there. And so here we are. Uh, It is every bit as breathtaking as uh, you have been told that it is. And uh, we're going to talk about rocks this, this weekend. So there's an amazing rock formation in northern Arizona called Horseshoe Bend. And uh, it is literally breathtaking when you, when you see this. It's just incredible, that huge rock formation in the middle of that river. And uh, to prove that that's not just taken from a website, we were there. <laughs> and I uh, gave it to somebody. They I'll take your picture for you. I'm always paranoid they're going to take my camera, take a picture, and laugh, and then throw it, like, over there, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, We did find, we we visited several canyons in the area, and they all had a different nuanced look to them. The easiest way to see a canyon is, as we did in Red Canyon, we rode it in horseback. I had never prayed for a horse more, though, than when we were going downhill. And have you ever done that his hooves are slipping on the rocks? Before we go down, the guy looking kind of cowboyish, you know, the hat and chaps, he goes, now remember this, you know, like the uh, city slickers, he goes, remember this. He goes, the horse's strongest instinct is survival. <laughs> I'm not thinking he means so the horse because I'm going to get this guy off my back so I get down safely or what. But I uh, <laughs> did some praying there. Uh, Bryce Canyon was our favorite. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. This is the natural bridge at Bryce Canyon. Uh, here's a shot of me and Joyce at the top of the canyon looking out. And if you if you did zoom in, you'd see she's kind of crying. We got to the top after we went all the way down to the bottom and came back up. And she was standing there saying, you know, a little over a year ago, I was just finishing my, my treatment for cancer. Then I had foot surgery after that. I'm just grateful to be alive and to be here. And so it was kind of a, a moment of just gratitude that we had in the midst of middle amazing creation. And then uh, the next slide is uh, she deals with chronic pain, but uh, nothing that she won't push through with uh, some ibuprofen. Put on some new hiking boots and we walked all the way down Bryce Canyon this is the route the path up what you can't see is if you if you could zoom in all the way up to the top of that slide this trail zigzags back and forth and back and forth several hundred feet up and by the time we got there you know we stopped to catch our breath like other people did I think my we pulse we're like at 148 and that's a pretty good cardio you know making our way up but it was an uphill climb and the idea of uphill climb really transitions to the message that I want to share with us today Because I believe that we are facing an uphill climb as Christians, as the body of Christ, in the context of our culture. And for the next three weeks, I want to deal with the theme why cancel culture won't prevail, why why cancel culture won't work. If you're not familiar with the phrase cancel culture, it is a new strategy to stifle opposing views in our culture. Uh, While studies show it's both conservative and liberal views. It tends to be exercised more against people with conservative views. Uh, but uh, it has been seen, for instance, people that were booked to be speakers at universities. A group rises up and wants to cancel them, and so their, their booking is canceled. Uh, it's been leveled against entertainers. It's been leveled against corporations and even cities. Uh, I do not like your point of view, and rather than allowing us to have free speech, uh, I'm going to hate you for your differences I'm going to slander you and come against you and oppose you and harass you and cancel you, if you will. And uh, as I see it, my bigger concern is that I see cancel culture is starting to and expect it to take an increasing focus at biblical truth. Years ago, when I first heard the phrase hate crime, Accompanied by hate speech, I will confess to you I cringed because I knew where that was probably going, and indeed it's there. Now, hate crime, I mean, to commit a crime against someone, you have to hate them anyway, Um, but hate crimes and hate speech are now more and more, biblical morality is being included in that, and we should expect that to continue. As your pastor, I feel a sense of responsibility Uh, not that you haven't already done it, but to look at God's word, to look at our culture, to understand the times, and then prepare us for what's ahead. Uh, Really, our mentoring ministry, as far as marriage preparation, is built on the idea that if you have the better expectations, you'll do better. If you get married expecting your spouse to be perfect and know your every need and just, you don't have to say what you want because they know it and they're you're going to be disappointed. But if you realize, okay, we're growing in this together, you'll have a better experience in marriage. As a Christian, I want you to have a proper sense of expectation of what's ahead of us, and I, and I see it being an uphill climb getting steeper and steeper. But take heart. So take a nice, big, deep breath, sigh of relief. Come on. <sighs> Let it out, all right? Jesus, first point in the outline, if you're in, if you're in the CLC app, you can follow along. Jesus told us the church would prevail. In the Gospel of Matthew, he's talking to uh, Peter, one of his closest friends. And Peter answered a question, Jesus said, Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter got it correctly. You're the Son of God. And he says, you know, man didn't reveal this to you. And he says then in that conversation, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Let me unpack that verse briefly for you. First of all, uh, the Catholic Church sees this verse and makes the case for papal succession that Peter started the church and then it continues out from there. If you delve into the original language and look at Peter's later writings, I don't believe that's the point Jesus is making. When he says to him, you are Peter, he uses the word Petros. You are Petros, which means you're a small rock. And and that word Petros, that's actually a compliment to Peter because Peter's name was Cephas, which meant reed. A reed is easily blown back and forth by the wind. No, you're a rock now. You You are unmovable. And so you are Peter. And then he says, upon this rock, but he changes from Petros to Petra, which means bedrock. Upon this bedrock, I'll build my church. And so he makes a shift there. It's a nuance we might not see in the English language. But if we jump to, uh, it's, this verse won't be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, go to First go to Peter chapter 2. If we look at his own writings, like Peter's trying to clarify any confusion you might have. No, 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 no. He's not saying that he's going to build his church on me. He'll use me to build his church. I am a rock. I'm one of those stones, if you will. But here's what Peter says in uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Peter says, coming to him, to Christ, as to a living stone. Let me stop here for one second. In New Testament architecture, if you ever go to Israel... Uh, the buildings of New Testament time were not made with bricks. They were made with stones. And so they would gather stones, some of them quite large, and they would hold them together with a mortar-like mixture, substance. And so they they would build things out of stone, and you would see that. They they might build, like, a huge uh, temple of some sort out of big, hewn blocks. But for the most part, they would build it out of stones. So he says, coming to him as a living stone... Rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Say spiritual house. Spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Now he's going to quote the Old Testament. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. Here he's quoting what was quote of Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of this spiritual house, the church, of which all of us are living stones being built together. And so Peter clarifies, no, 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 he's not building the church on me. We're building the church on Christ, and each of us now are living stones in that process. The second part about whatever you unleash on earth will be unleashed in heaven is talking about when you declare the word of God, you call that out and you, you unleash the power of God's word in this world. I mean, God's word brings lost people to a place of conviction for their sin. And then that conviction leads them to a place of repentance. And then when you repent, then you are forgiven. And then you have hope and the comfort of knowing you have eternal life. And the conviction is not, does not need to be harsh and caustic. In fact, the Bible says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. But when we declare God's word, we are unleashing on earth what God has unleashed in heaven, and that's how we will build the church, is the case that Peter's making. So if Jesus told us the church would prevail, the second point says, and it has so far. The church has prevailed this far. Now, as we see sort of the skies of culture darkening in many ways toward Christianity, toward the Bible, and toward truth. Again, I want to encourage you that cancel culture will not work. When you go back to the Bible, we go back to to early Christianity, in Hebrews chapter 11, let's see what uh, the author writes there. And keep in mind, in chapter 11, we like to read that. We call it the, the heroes of faith. He goes back and it starts off saying, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old and women of old gained approval. And then he goes back and cites heroes of the faith, people like Abraham and Sarah and David and all the way through. And then in verse 35, the last part of that verse, look at what he says. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, that's whippings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Let me stop there what's he saying there the bible tells us that when we die when our spirit leaves our body to be absent from the body to be present with the lord all these heroes of faith who have died before us their bodies are somewhere buried in the ground all right and are sprinkled or whatever and their their bodies are here but their spirit is present with the lord now Paul tells us that Jesus is going to fulfill the last promise he made to his disciples at the Last Supper where he told them, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again so that where I am, you will be also. That return of Christ for the church, for his followers, is called the rapture of the church. Paul writes about it in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Read it. He says, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who are alive and remain we will be caught together with them to meet them in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Meet who in the air? Christ and the heavenly host of all these who've died before us. And when the dead in Christ rise first, that is the resurrection of the dead, in which we will then have glorified bodies. Right now, there are spirits with Christ they do not have their glorified bodies yet. Why? Because God's like, okay, we're not going to start the party until everybody's here. So when the rapture of the church happens, boom, glorified body, and the older I get, the bigger the upgrade that glorified body is. Let me tell you, all right? If indeed Jesus told us the church would prevail, and it has so far, it's going to continue to prevail. And, and when we when we look at this verse where, okay, the dead in Christ will rise first. We're going to be together. And so when that happens, there's going to be this phenomenal reunion. And Paul says, we will always be with the Lord. Glorified body, soul, and spirit, once again, all together, boom. And there's this phenomenal reunion. We sang about the reunion earlier in worship. So with that established, then the author of Hebrews goes on to, to verse chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, say therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And it's not just David and Joseph and Sarah and Abraham. For me, it's my dad, it's my Uncle Sam, it's my friend Ken, it's my in-laws, Don and Johnny. And you can think of that cloud of witnesses surrounding us. It's like they're cheering us on. Come on, you can do it. So great a cloudiness is surrounding us. Let us lay aside every encumbrance, every distraction, and the sin which so easily entangles us. Isn't it easy to sin? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna re-ask that. I'm going to give you a chance to be honest. Isn't it easy to sin? You're like, oh, no, I have to try really hard to sin. Come on. <laughs> the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance. Say Endurance. Tell your neighbor, endurance. Endurance. The race that set before us. He goes on to say, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. And the point that I've been making all weekend as we read that, as we look back at heroes of faith, is that our spiritual predecessors did not expect Christianity to be comfortable or convenient. Our spiritual predecessors, I'm gonna say it again, did not expect Christianity to be comfortable or convenient. And that is a verse, or that is a thought rather that I don't care for. I like comfort and convenience. It is part and parcel of American Christianity. What service do you want to go to? We got it Saturday at five, we got it Sunday at nine, we got it at 10 45. You can watch it online, you can watch it on demand later in the week. Talk about comfort. These chairs make it hard on a speaker. I've got to keep you awake. <laughs> it's kind of humorous to me. Occasionally, some of you will have had a really long weekend or a hard week, and I watch you do this. <laughs> the nice thing, I can see here wherever you are in the whole sanctuary, you know. It's just like, okay, just go ahead and go to sleep. If I can bless you at rest, I'll do that. So. <laughs> but we, we, we look at You and know, get coffee on your way in. I got, grabbed a cup before service. It's convenient people to direct your traffic on the way out. And we, we tend to then get used to it. Our culture loves convenience. I love convenience, don't get me wrong. Dirk was concerned about me yesterday when I came in. He goes, man, your, your voice sounds horrible. And he needs to get some tea. So I, he gave me a tea bag and I stuck it in a cup of water, put it in a microwave, and 60 seconds later, boom, I had a cup of tea. I love convenience. I love comfort. problem is we tend to take our our tendency or preference for comfort and convenience and we project it on life and we project it on faith and whoa if it's not comfortable it's not convenient well we're not going to get we're not going oh, we to do that or we question where is God because it's not comfortable it's not convenient and our spiritual predecessors that we read about in scripture that were so crazy about wow what heroes they are they're like who said it was going to be comfortable following Jesus or convenient it's not that it's far more so the final point says, do your part to build his church. And with that, I'm going to transition over here to the table because I want to kind of make an illustration. And I want to go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, or we'll put it on the screen. Peter's going on this whole idea of building the church. He says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, would you say diligence? I'm using a modern-day version of building stones. These are bricks, all right, for the sake of illustration. So with all diligence, diligence means uh, constant, earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken, persistent exertion to do so. I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself. How much persistent exertion do you exercise in your faith to become who God wants you to be and to fulfill the purpose that he's given you? Do you even know the purpose he has for you right now? I'm not talking about, oh, life is hard. I'm not talking about those challenges. Christians and non-Christians alike have those challenges. I'm talking about how much persistent exertion are you realizing, wow, God wants this in my life. God wants me to be in this way. He wants this fruit of the Spirit. So, Lord, I'm going to persistently, with diligence, apply myself to become a follower of Christ that he wants me to be. Add to your diligence, would you say, moral excellence? Other Bibles say virtue. And it's not just... Moral excellence as far as our behavior goes. It speaks broader that there is a strength, there is a valor, uh, it, it is a sense of courage, being a courageous Christian. I have Christ within me, the hope of glory. If God is for me, who can be against me? Are you that unshakable kind of rock kind of feeling That as culture feels like it's flipping upside down, topsy-turvy, going from bad to worse, is there this, it is well with my soul? Or do we only feel that when we sing that with a bunch of other people in a great band on stage? Add to your moral excellence, say knowledge. And this speaks very simply to know God. Sounds familiar. If you know our mission statement, say it with me. To know God... Be his people, value others, change our world. And it implies there not just knowing God, but it also implies a growing in your knowledge of God. Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Have you had any recent aha moments about God and who he is? Or have you just kind of stopped? I find that plateaus are easy for us in our Christian life. So what new areas is God showing you? What new areas are you pursuing and asking him about? What new truths have you read in scripture that jumped off the page at you? Wow, how cool is that? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Because Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Or are we so preoccupied that we kind of have a been there, done that, learned that attitude? Grow in it. Be hungry for knowledge of God. And add to your knowledge, say self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And that sense of self-control. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, things like that, I pray for that, but I, I never find, okay, God, give me more love. And boom, I just love annoying people. <laughs> I don't pray, God, make me patient. And boom, I'm more patient. No, you know how it happens? More love? Okay, great. I'm going to give you some people that are hard to love. I'm going to give you some people that are easy to love so you know what love feels like, then I want you to give it to them. Patience, great. One more patience, good. I'm going to test it. And so we exert. So when it comes to self-control, guess what? You know how you grow more self-control? You have temptations to not have self-control, and you have a choice to say it or not, to do it or not, to think it or not. I exercise my self-control. It is a diligence, earnest effort that I am applying on a regular basis, and the Holy Spirit then helps me and cultivates that fruit in me with all diligence. Add to your Self control, say perseverance. Other versions of the Bible say patient endurance. And with that patient endurance, uh, you know, at times it have been kind of flippant, just kind of humorous, you know, like when you're at the traffic light and the person in front of you won't go and you want to get around. I, we're not talking 60 second traffic lights. Do you have the kind of patience to endure through hardship? When the disappointment of life blows up in your life and it's your, now your reality, how do you endure that? When there is real hardship, it doesn't go away. When there is pain that there seems to be no remedy for. When there is fill-in-the-blank, how do you endure through those things? I was talking to a long-time believer recently. I didn't say anything to them, but I was kind of disappointed at how much they were, they were complaining, where is God because of this certain thing in their life? I'm like, well, he's where he always was. Do you have a patient endurance that perseveres in the face of hardship and does not taint or diminish the joy of the Lord, which is your strength? Add your self-control, perseverance. Add to your perseverance, say godliness. Godliness is just the imitation of God. We used to have those bracelets, WWJD. I don't see us wearing them anymore. I think the question was too hard. <laughs> what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do about them or about the situation? How would he act? How would he think? I don't know about you. Acting like, thinking like, talking like Jesus does not come natural. I have got to be earnest in my effort to do that. And the opportunities come at some of the least convenient times. Testing. One, two. Testing. At your godliness, would you say brotherly kindness? Brotherly kindness, oddly enough, is probably one of the weakest bricks in the American church. I'm not talking brotherly niceness. I'm out in the lobby a lot between services. Uh, Joyce was here first service and and out there in the lobby some and then greeting people. And I was in the back for worship for part of it. And we're nice. Hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, Got her coffee, found her comfortable seat. Hey, hey, good. When you leave, you'll be nice. Hey, hey. It's It's not brotherly niceness. It's kindness. It goes much deeper than that. It's talking about a love. It's talking about a connection. It's talking about doing life together with people. So let me ask you to, to, to do a quick exercise. Do a little rubberneck and look to your left, to your right, in front of you, behind. Just real quick, look at people. Smile nice, but look at them, all right? Not just people you came with, look around, okay? Here's my question When you looked at those people, was there a sense of, oh, I love those people? <laughs> Don't be so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> We're just in church, for goodness sake. Now, granted, you're not going to know everybody at that level I love them, but there should be people in the body of Christ, this body of Christ, your body of Christ, your church family, that are family. But not really family. That you have a connection with that goes soul deep. That you've done life together. There is a love and affection for them. You know, Friday, Joyce and I went to hospice in Middletown. And a friend of ours, we've known... Jerry and Vicky for 20 years, he helped me finish my basement when he lived a couple streets away. And uh, he's facing the final season of his life. I told him afterwards, I said, "Man, I have, I have, I'll remember a lot of things about you, but I will never forget your attitude about this because you have one of the healthiest attitudes of any Christian I've seen. We talk about eternal life as Christians, but man, when we're close on death's door, we're panicking and begging God to change. He's like, you know what? I'm going to be free of cancer soon. And I remember telling him, I said, you know, we I don't believe in telling people's eulogies after they die. I like to tell them to them. And so we talked about all the things that we loved about Jerry and how much we'd miss him. And we cried and laughed and prayed. And we need to have people like that in our life, in our church. Again, you can't be close friends with a thousand people, but you can have six or eight or ten or two or four. Jesus Told Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church. He didn't say upon this rock, and let's just, you know, let's go brick for contemporary purposes, I will build Super Peter. Super Christian, that's you, yeah. Me and God, we're enough. That's not biblical, you know that? You and God's enough? Nope. And if you're fine it isn't enough, that's why. Upon this rock, I will build my brick. I will build my rock. No, I will build my church. The word church is ecclesia. I will build my gathering together. That's the literal meaning of the word church. I will build my gathering together. We gather together in Jesus' name. We trust His Spirit to be present with us, and we love one another. Go ahead and go to your concordance this week and Google it or whatever you want to do, and and just type in the word in your concordance, one another. You'll see dozens of one another's pop up of how we're supposed to treat one, love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, care for one another, admonish one another. One another, I will build my church. And it takes time and effort. One person last night said to me, you know why we don't do it. It takes time and it's an investment to be friends with somebody. But we misunderstand the purpose of this. The purpose of this is not to find a place to park after somebody directs you there and grab a cup of coffee and find a comfortable seat and experience something on stage and leave. And that's, no, that's, not the, that's the tip of the iceberg of this or it's meant to be. And then he says, add to your brotherly kindness, love. That sounds redundant, doesn't it? He just brotherly kindness, Love drill a little deeper and you realize that brotherly kindness is the love in here among us. Love is our love that we have from here to people who are out there, non-brethren and sister, Outsiders. Do we love those outside of the church as Christ would? WWJD, if he was a church person at CLC. So our team went down to the Oregon district and asked the question. And came up with some pretty telling responses, so open your heart and your mind and watch this.
1: Hey guys, my name is Sydney and I'm one of the worship leaders at CLC. We're out here in downtown Dayton asking people, do you feel comfortable going to church? No. Okay, and why would that be?
0: Um, Okay, honest answer, I was uh, raised in the church, Methodist and uh, Baptist and a little bit of Southern Baptist. A lot of times they are definitely of the uh, uh, fire and brimstone type nowadays. It's live the way we tell you, don't live the way you feel. Um, Yeah, no, um, I don't think they're very welcoming. I think they're a lot more
2: isolationist than they've ever been. So.
1: Well thank you for sharing. We're from Christian Life Center and we just have a gift for you. Um, I appreciate it. It's a coffee and um, a chocolate bar on us I appreciate and um, we hope to see you there.
2: Um, I think it just separates people too much. Um, somebody's into religion that's their thing but I feel like you know people create these groups and uh, I'm not cool with that.
0: Well I have a background in religion so I grew up with it. Um, some churches are more accepting than others, so it just really depends on the church. So, uh, It's been too long since I would even remember what going to church feels like. I mean,
2: some of them are completely open-armed and will take anybody in for any reason.
0: Other churches, you know, are very, I don't know, tight-knit and keep to themselves.
1: We have a gift for you. It's uh, coffee and or pastry and chocolate on us. And so we'd love to see you. Do you feel comfortable going to church? Um, I do not. Um, historically, for me personally, it's just an incredibly judgmental and oppressive environment and um, painful memories there, honestly. Thanks. Well, we have. But you guys are awesome. And I think there is a higher power. I just don't know if it's the necessarily the Christian representation.
0: No, not really, because it's full of hypocrisy. Well, I think they all just want money. They don't really, really study God and, you know, and religion's really not like it used to be when I was growing up. It's more about money and stuff like that. And a lot of them don't help the community out. It's just full of hypocrites. I know.
1: Okay, and why?
0: Because I feel the church, um, like, organized religion in itself is uh, very... They just like to
2: act like they include everybody, but they really don't.
1: Well, we're from Christian Life Center, and um, no, it's okay. <laughs> we have a gift for you. All right. But <laughs> you're welcome. No, it's okay. It's seriously okay. We like This is the answers that we want is because like, we can make ourselves better. We can make our church better. Well, thank you. You're welcome.
0: Let, let that sink in for a minute and think about it. Don't just get defensive. I've got probably two reactions to it, and probably there are more. Let's, the biggest cancel culture I'm concerned about is the one that we can control. Let's not be the church that cancels the church. There's two ways to look at those responses. i want to be honest to both of them. Yes, there are people who will take truth that we would preach and say, well, because of your truth, you're rejecting me. We cannot apologize for what the Word says. Doing a series in November, birds do it, bees do it, on sexuality, and, and there is a right and a wrong in Scripture. We have to declare that. But if the kindness of God leads people to repentance, how we declare this truth and live this truth makes all the difference. To draw an analogy, I'm afraid too many churches are kind of like the emergency- You ever been in the emergency room? Right? You, your family, whatever, you go there. Let's say you got let's let's take an old guy's concern. Let's let's say you got you go to the emergency room because you have a heart attack. And they wheel you up to the door, and the door opens. How would you feel if the medical person who met you said, heart attack? Well, how much fried food have you been eating? <laughs> or oh, let's go ahead and younger. Let's say you're a mom or a dad, and your child broke their leg playing. And they, you carry your child in the door, and they go, broken leg? What kind of parent are you? See, we're an emergency room for souls. We're an ER for a culture that is being devastated by their own sin. And when they come here, likewise, the doctor's not going to say, well, while you're waiting for the heart cath, why don't you have a burger and fries? We'll be prescriptive with truth, but we must be prescriptive and compassionate. If the guy with the gauges came, that's what you call those things in your ears, okay? If the guy with the gauges walked in church today, would he sense your... hmm, Hey, glad to have you here. What's your name? What, what is concerning for me is one of the greatest struggles of the contemporary American church I'd love to say we're the total exception, but we're not. Is that We lost our passion for people out there who are not part of here. I'm ask for a show of hands, but when was the last time you, you prayed for and invited somebody that you know is lost? When's the last time that you just did a good deed for someone who's lost? Because let your light shine before men in such a way they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Let's get even easier yet. I have learned in 30 years of doing this, 30 plus years, you have no idea all the stories that are in this room. I guarantee you somebody this weekend is hanging by a thread. And they say, well, maybe if I go to church, eh, I won't help, Well, maybe if I go. And you might be sitting next to them. When you come to church, do you have the impression God might have a divine appointment in front of me, behind me, next to me? Did you have a sense of, oh, there's somebody new. I want to go over and meet them. Did you have any of that sense? Because we are the church. We are the living stones being built up. Oh, we just have to hurry up and get in. Hey, we're nice, and i got to get out because i got places to go and things to do. Let's not be the church that cancels itself to our culture. Let's be that place that people leave. you heard me say it before. Man, my life is totally messed up. I don't at all live by or the way they believe, but when I go there, those people really make me feel like they care about me. They love me. Last I heard, there are no help wanted ads from heaven, the Holy Spirit saying, wanted someone to convict other people and judge them. He'll handle that just fine. Share his word, yes. With compassion, yes. With truth, yes. And then allow that compassion and conviction to take hold, and, and we will see God change lives. And I'm going to tell you, if we don't figure this out, how we are both compassionate and grounded in truth, then as cancel culture continues to rise up, Jesus' other best friend, John, called it the spirit of antichrist. As that gets stronger and stronger against Christianity and church and the truth, you're going to panic instead of saying, now this is our finest hour. Now more than ever before, our city, my neighborhood, this world needs the light of Jesus Christ, and we are that light. And so take heart, let this be your prayer as we close with this song about building your church. Not build your hero, uh uh-uh. Build your church.
2: Christ alone, our chief cornerstone. No other foundation can we build upon. Not philosophy, nor the wisdom of men. All that the ground is sinking sand.
0: us pray. Lord, build your church in us, among us, through us. Not super Christians, only they can stand alone, but Lord, build a healthy dependency in us for one another. Grow us forward and together and remind us that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. Be the head of this church. Empower us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us a heart of compassion for the lost, for those who are not part of this body, that we would love them, share your truth with them, and that lives will be transformed and changed and know the goodness and the grace of Jesus. So help us, Lord, to to love others as Christ loved us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Before you leave... Uh, I got to tell on our team yesterday. I, I was—we built our services in advance. I was gone for 12 days, and so I missed a couple of planning meetings. And uh, so we we're doing a run-through yesterday afternoon, and we went through the points, moved the, the video is gonna be the beginning, moved to the end, and then like I can't make the the video. The message hits the video well. I can't really get it to the song. It doesn't quite have the right theme. And so they said, well, well, let's do another song. And so in two hours. I think two of them had played that song before. In two hours, these musicians and these singers pulled that off for the weekend. Let's give them a hand, you guys. You're awesome. Thank you. So, let's pretend we're all wearing bracelets right now. W-W-J-D-I-H-W-A-P-O-C. What would Jesus do if he was part of our church? Leave like Jesus. Have a good day. Thanks.